Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, and then skipping over Thomas down to verses 30 through 31. Hear now the word of God. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these ones are written, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the youth group, we've been talking through the Gospels since September. And we've talked about how each of them has a slightly different flavor to it, a different audience they're really trying to speak to, a different emphasis. Matthew is especially focused on explaining how Jesus is the Messiah to the Jews, and he makes sure to share a ton of Jesus' teachings. Matthew is a nerd. Mark talks about how confusing and busy Jesus is, always healing and casting out demons. And Luke really focuses on how Jesus cares for the unimportant and the needy. He seeks out the sick and the lepers, the oppressed, the orphans. John is a different character. If you ever decide to learn Greek, which, why wouldn't you? John is the first gospel that you would read because he uses the simplest language. He doesn't use technical or fancy words. Scholars think that John was just a regular dude. No education. He writes at about a third grade reading level. Not that John's gospel is dumb. It's not. John just constantly takes complicated things and explains them in simple ways. He uses lots of images like, I am the water of life. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. Not a single complicated word. He doesn't need them because the image he uses carries all the truth. You can take any of those and pray over them and they'll change how you live. But there's nothing complicated about them. Water, bread, shepherd. In the Gospel of John, like all the Gospels, Jesus does these miracles. Things that are beyond the natural. For instance, he goes to a wedding with his mom. And while he's there, the party runs out of wine. And his mom tells him, Jesus, they're out of wine. Help them out. And Jesus says, not my party, not my problem. And his mom, experienced in dealing with children, ignores his attitude and tells the wedding planner, just do whatever he tells you. And Jesus turns two giant vats of water into wine. But John doesn't call this a miracle. He calls it a sign. The second sign is Jesus heals a royal official's son. The boy is about to die. There's nothing else to do. And the father begs Jesus, please come down and see him. And Jesus replies, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. 
And then he tells the man, go, your son will live. And the man believes, and when he gets back to his house, they tell him, the very hour Jesus spoke, the fever broke, and the boy began to recover. But John doesn't call it a miracle, he calls it a sign. Obviously it is a miracle, but for John that's confusing. Because a miracle tells us what, but it doesn't tell us why. John manages to explain why with one simple word. He tells us that these are all signs. I might have told this story already, but Mike and I were driving from Princeton to see my family in Chicago. And we were driving through Pennsylvania, and I'm cruising along listening to my music, and Micah leans over and looks at the dashboard and she asks, have you been watching the signs? And I said, I've been watching the GPS. We don't have to turn for 250 miles. We're fine. And she said, oh, okay. I just thought you might want to know that we're almost out of gas. And that sign says this is the last gas station for 64 miles. (laughs) So I cranked the wheel hard to the right, cut across two lanes of traffic, caught the exit, because the sign lets you know what's coming. That huge sign in Pennsylvania, someone put it there, because there's a stretch of road 64 miles long with no gas stations. If you don't pay attention to the signs, you'll find yourself hitchhiking 30 miles in either direction to get yourself a can of gas. People put out a sign, beware of dog, which basically says, sure, trespass if you want to, but my dog has teeth, and I'm not going to stop him from using you as a chew toy. There are signs, no shirt, no shoes, no service, which tell you, Listen, if shirts and shoes aren't your thing, that's fine and well, but here we wear shirts and shoes. So if your aversion to clothing is that deep, you can eat or shop somewhere else. The sign tells you what to expect. It tells you what's going on. And John tells us that all these miracles are signs. They're communicating something important. The first sign, Jesus turns water into wine. And it tells us something about who God is. It tells us that God takes something ordinary, like water, or one of us, and turns it into something extraordinary. It tells us that heaven will be a celebration. It will be a party. Even though none of us have seen heaven, we've seen the sign. So we know what it will be like. The second sign, Jesus heals a man's son. When you see the sign, what do you learn? You learn about who God is and the kingdom he's building. God is going to overcome sickness and disease. For John, every miracle Jesus does is communicating something. It's a sign. Jesus doesn't do miracles because he felt guilty that day. The miracles show us who God is and what kind of kingdom God's building. They let us know what's coming. I've already mentioned that John hates making things complicated which is why in our verse 4 today, he just comes out and says what the signs are for. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The point of the signs is to enable us to believe. The signs, they give us a glimpse into the kingdom of God. They let us see. It's a celebration. Why? Well, because God is curing sickness and disease, because those who couldn't walk 
will be healed, because the disabled will be taken care of, because the hungry will be fed. And when that kingdom is built by the power of God, yeah, we're going to celebrate. These are signs of the coming kingdom. Jesus performed them and John wrote them down so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and so we could have life in his name. The sign enables us to believe and have life in the name of Jesus. That's John on signs. But here's the important question. What if I drive back up to Pennsylvania and I bring with me a little blowtorch and I dress in black and under the cover of darkness I drive to that sign, last gas station for 65 miles, and I cut it down? What happens if I take away the sign? If I cut down the sign, people have no reason to believe that there is no gas station for 64 miles. If there's no sign, they have no way to know what's coming. It doesn't change the reality. The sign doesn't change the fact that there are no gas stations. The purpose of the sign is just to tell people what's going on. It's to tell people what's coming. The sign enabled them to believe. After he's resurrected, Jesus appears to his disciples. They're hiding in a room. They locked the door. And then Jesus appears. They just watched him get executed by the army. So they're freaked out when he suddenly appears. He says, peace. He shows them his wounds, right acting, by the way. And then he says it again, peace. But he also says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. As just means in the same way, in the same way that the Father sent Jesus, the Father sends us which means we know the Father is sending us to be signs. He sends the disciples out to be signs, last gas station for 65 miles, except more important because we're signs that say Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. God is building a kingdom, and this is what it looks like. And one danger is removing the sign, and that's a temptation for Christians. Sometimes we just feel uncomfortable. We feel uncomfortable sharing what we believe, so we hide it. We take down the sign. And there are churches that are content to just keep things to themselves and let people live their lives without knowing God. But I don't think that's the church's real problem today. And when I say church, I'm not just talking about us, or us especially. There's a deeper problem. And I'm going to tell a story, but I do want to preface it by saying I don't think this reflects our church, but I think it reflects a lot of churches. I had a friend at Princeton, and he was getting his Ph.D., so he had to do this big research project. And he's focusing on worship. So he goes to these different churches, and he interviews the kids, the adults, the parents, the grandparents. He interviews all of them about the worship service. And he asks them all these different questions. And he talks to the youth, and they admitted to him that they were bored. They could tell the music team wasn't excited pastor's sermons were so boring. They felt like they were in school, and sometimes they fell asleep, and sometimes they were on their cell phones. And he asked them, if you're that bored, why do you even go to church? And they answered, it really matters to my parents. And then he talked to the older members, and they admitted that they were bored. And they didn't enjoy the music either. And the pastor's sermons were boring. It made them feel like they were back in school. Sometimes they fell asleep. So he asked them, if you're that bored, 
why do you keep going to church? And they answered, I think it's very important for my family to come. That church had a sign. They were sharing something about God in God's kingdom. They were sharing it so consistently that everyone in the church gave the exact same answers. Their sign said, God is incredibly boring, but his church is an unfortunate obligation that you can't escape. Everyone in the church knew the sign. Another church, they were losing young people. The youth stopped going and weren't coming back, so the church changed their music. They added guitars and drums, and the older people didn't love it, but it was for the youth. And my friend interviewed the youth. and They hated the new music even more because they could tell how much the old people hated it. The church took down a sign that said, God is boring, and singing is boring too. And they replaced it with a sign that said, God is still boring, and singing is too. But look, there are guitars. <laughs> the guy did all of this research at all these different churches, and he talked to ones with contemporary music, traditional music, liturgy in a bulletin, liturgy on a screen, no liturgy. And his conclusion was, none of it made a difference because no one had bothered to change the church's sign. The sign still said, God is incredibly boring, but his church is an unfortunate obligation that you can't escape. But what he found did matter. What he found did make a difference is when churches worships with what he calls magnitude, with gravity, with passion, worship that comes from somewhere down here. He found that organs are fine, guitars are fine, smoke machines, believe it or not, were fine, hymnals were fine, screens were fine, chanting was fine, speaking in tongues was fine, liturgy, drums, choirs, and robes, all of it's fine, unless there's no passion behind it. And then, none of it counts. It doesn't matter if you're in a cathedral, or a mall, or your grandparents' church, or someone's basement, if there's passion, all sins are forgiven. If there isn't, well, everyone can read the sign. God is incredibly boring, but his church is an unfortunate obligation that you can't escape. What does our church sign say about who God is? Boring or worthy of everything? What do our lives say about church, about building God's kingdom, obligation, or life-changing opportunity. If a church sign says that God is incredibly boring, but church is an unfortunate obligation you can't escape, of course people won't invite their friends. You don't invite your friends to a boring party, or a concert with horrible music, or a church that's an unfortunate obligation. I started this story by saying, I don't think this is our church's problem, because we do hear excitement. And we see people inviting friends. And it's amazing to see. It's humbling. And it's a testimony to everything we as a church are doing. But I'm preaching this as a request. Because our sign can never be too clear. We want that sign to read crystal clear for anyone that walks in. God is a life-changing opportunity. And our church is building the kingdom of God. So I'm preaching this as a request because what we want to know is where do you see that passion? Where do you feel it? Where do you see the Holy Spirit moving? 
what can we do better? What do we need to change so that we are displaying that magnitude, that passion, every Sunday and Monday and Tuesday? And I'm preaching it because we want to know what gets in the way. Because without the sign, there's no reason to know what's coming. And our sign is really important. So it can't be too good. I was driving down a highway in Pennsylvania, listening to my music, headed 70 miles per hour into a stretch of road 64 miles long with no gas stations. There are people in this town who are living the spiritual equivalent. We need a sign that's big enough to let them know what's coming. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I give you thanks for this church, for the ways that it is testifying to this community about what your son has done in the world, that he has died for the forgiveness of sins, that he is building a kingdom in our midst. I ask that you would inspire us with your spirit, that we would be passionate about who you are and what you have done, that we would be passionate about your church. Help us to be a clear sign to all those who need it, that here we worship the living God. In him is forgiveness of sins and life. Lord, be with us now and always. Amen.